Hello, beautiful tribe. This podcast is sponsored by Uvida. Thousands of years ago, before modern medicine proved scientific evidence for mind and body connection, the sages of India developed Ayurveda, which continues to be one of the most sophisticated, powerful mind and body health systems up to date. And I can begin to tell you, tribe, that it's about putting the power back in your hands. And the company that's helping you do that is Uvita. I've been on Uvita for a couple months now so that I can have a healthy gut and be able to clear my gut and be able to have the best digestive system that I can have. Because healing your gut allows the body to build a stronger immune system and produce the right kind of bacteria that tells your brain that it's okay to feel good. And as, as everyone knows, I'm the shaman who likes to stay lit and make sure the tribe is lit all day long. And so it's important for us to feel good in our bodies. And it's important for us to live a very healthy life. Uvita is a company that is doing that. They are utilizing the knowledge and understanding of Ayurveda in their company, wild harvested and organically grown herbs that they synergistically create in an Ayurvedic way to be able to give you what you need for your body to sustain health, wellness, and vitality. Everything that they have in their company is based in integrity, ethically sourced from natives who practice sustainability. And I can't begin to tell you how happy I am to share this with you and to have them be one of the sponsors for Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. Their products offer everything from immunity to healthy joints and to healthy mood and healthy digestion and a healthy body. What more can you ask for from a company that is bringing Ayurvedic understanding to the Western world in a way that is supporting us and lifting us and shifting us into the greater possibilities of who we are. So I welcome you to experience Uvita. You can even contact them by going to their website, which is www.uvita.com. And you make your first order, type in the word shaman, which is their code for the Ancient Wisdom Today podcast tribe. And you will get 35% off on your order for your first order of Uvita. But I'm telling you, the moment you start taking this product, you're going to see dramatic change in your body and the way you feel. And that is the best. And as the tribe knows, I'm all about putting the power back in your hands. So go ahead and check out Uvita and use my code SHAMAN. And until then, live healthy always and every day in your life. Love you. Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years. And with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek is a third-generation shaman, an evolutionary innovator, and a women's empowerment leader. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. We're sharing ancient knowledge in modern times in order to put the power back in people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. Hello, everyone, and thank you for being a part of Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. I love you. And if anyone hasn't told you that you are loved, let me be the first. I love you. I light you. I ignite you. I lift you. I shift you. I honor you. I value you. I see you. And I need you. And I'm so honored to have you here on planet Earth. And I love the way that you care for people. I love the way that you are always thinking about how we can make this world a better place. I love how you take the time that you have 
have in your life to give back in beautiful ways that supports our tribe to grow and to help and assist people who are in need. And I love how you're always creating more resource in your life so that you have plenty of resource to give and share abundantly. I love how prosperity always flows in your life. And I love how beautiful your heart and your being and your soul is on so many levels, how you share that with your world, with your family, with your friends, and with everyone around you always. And I love how you're always in a place of joy and happiness. And I love how you're not affected by the nonsense of the world because you're powerful, you're smart, you're intelligent, you're a genius, you're profound, you're a visionary, you're a creator, you're an edge maker, you're a tastemaker, and you are here now. And so I welcome you to the tribe and welcome you to the show. I'm so happy to have you on the show because I have one of my very good friends. I have one of my good friends on the show who is doing amazing things when it comes to working in the understanding of really lifting and shifting people in their environments by bringing holism, by bringing healing, and by really changing the way we look at supporting people in this world today. It's my friend on the show right now. Her name is Lorea. And we are so happy to have her here because let me tell you, everyone, we can go about our lives and we can do all the things that we're doing in the world, but the greatest thing that we can do is be of service. And when we are of service, we are not only opening up the gateways for sustenance and more joy and more happiness in our life, because there's nothing better than having purpose that supports the life of another person. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so happy to have her here on our show today on Ancient Wisdom Today podcast, because it is about shifting and lifting. And you always hear me say that shift and lift. And that is what we're doing on planet earth. But the only way we can do that is to recognize of being of service. There's no point on being on this planet if we're not being able to support something and feel really good in our lives. And that comes from when we have something to do and have something to give and have something to share. And I'm going to give you a way for you to make that possible in your life today with Lorea. So thank you for being a part of Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, just to be a part of this space, this community, we are so powerful. And I think it's so important that we recognize our power cannot be lightning in a bottle. Our power must be distributed to others. And the way we do that is by putting ourselves in the space of another person, by removing ourselves from our own comfort zone. And a big issue that we have, especially in the United States, is our homeless population because it shouldn't be. No one in the U.S. should go without food, without their basic needs being met. There's so much wealth. So We are so privileged to even be in this time where wealth is being distributed, where technology is allowing others to grow and create their own wealth. But if we are not circulating it, we are hoarding our blessings. And they're not meant to sit on a shelf for us to look at. They're meant to be used and distributed. When we are given much, we are supposed to distribute. And as light workers, as energy workers, we know to whom to give it to. But you have to know and be awakened to seek, you know, who's seeking you. Because the energies that I see, you know, I feed on Skid Row and I offer holistic healing from Reiki to crystals. I teach herbalism. And I've realized by being awakened in that way, I'm completely shattering the ideas because the ideas that they are separate from us, 
that there are two different realms. They are one and the same with us. And I think that spiritually for us to elevate to different spaces, we have to recognize that because there are healers on the other side. Every time I go to Skid Row, I have the opportunity to meet someone that shifts me. I go there with the intent to shift and yet I'm shifted. It's And it's a byproduct of that. We're living in an age where depression is spoke about more than anything I've ever, ever witnessed. I don't remember the, um, the, the topic of conversation being so focused on depression. And I've also realized there's this disconnect of service. And I, I can't help but acknowledge that there's a correlation here. There's a correlation. All of these empaths, all these these enlightened beings that are elevating on the material realm. And yet internally, there's this depression, this sadness that we we shouldn't have. And I believe that it, that changes when we get into the position to be of service, because energetically, when you know you're elevating, then that there should be a reminder, a switch that we are supposed to try to get to the lowest space to serve another because the energy that we experience from that high, it's meant to lift someone else up. And the byproduct of that, what people in service receive, I do believe is eliminating depression and eliminating the lack of connection. Cause I feel like depression stems from the lack of true connection and just, just being in this space and being able to speak to you all about love, sharing that love and showing up. Half the battle in our community isn't getting the work done because we all know what it's like to go from one space to elevate to another. It's showing up. It's like working out, going to the gym. It takes showing up. Once you get there, it's innate. And I believe when you are a healer and you're in tune, those gifts are innate to reach everyone. And we need more healers. We need you all to come and to give your gift. It's beautiful when we get to go to Beverly Hills or these retreats, you know, where it's very easy to see God's work when the painting is beautiful. But it's very hard to find God's beauty in spaces that don't look familiar to us because we have to look past our eyes. We have to look in light. And I believe that that's something that all of us as healers, we have to get to that space because that elevates us to that next space as well, because we start to look at things differently. Everything in our world shifts when we are part of the exchange. So, and I hear all of that and I get that. And I, and I feel like a lot of people want that in their lives. You know, they really thrive for that in their lives. But I, what I feel also too, is that, you know, people get into a place where like, you know, they're like, well, you know, there's this problem in the world, you know, and there's that problem in the world. And like, and then there's the homeless problem. And then, you know, the, now we're being told that, you know, there's this thing where people are being deported over here. And now there's possibility of war. And now there's possibility of this. And, you know, and not even just the homeless in America, but the homeless in the world, right? Because people who are listening to show are not just in America, they're coming from all over the world and they have homeless in their community as well. And so, you know, it's like, what I feel is that people are on this point of being open overloaded by all of the calamity and all of the discord that they're experiencing on the earth, that they're not able to 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 really say, oh, okay, I'm going to go and put my energy here because they're overloaded. And so I think, you know, one of the, the conversations that we have to really look at and I say this to the tribe is that we have to really get out of putting our uh, attention 
on the reaction of all of these things that are overloading us and then get into an understanding of how do we come back into ourselves and back into our heart so that we can say, okay, what is the thing that actually moves me the most? What is the thing that bothers me the most? And then take action upon that. Because if you look at every world leader that has lived on our planet, they didn't just become a world leader when they came out of the, out of their, um, from their mother. They, they became a world leader by them experiencing something that made them so upset and so angry and felt so hurt inside about that that was the place they decided to take action. Like, for instance, myself as Shaman Durek, you know, and I became Shaman Durek not just because my grandmother chose me to be and take on the lineage in our family, but also because I knew I wanted to put the power back in people's hands. I wanted people's lives to be easier. I wanted people to stop being influenced by this slave system. And I wanted people to really grasp the, the ability that they have to live in this beautiful, limitless, authentic way with themselves and not feel burdened or held down or, you know, have any kind of restrictions or anything holding them from being their most joyful, most happiest self. And so everything I can do is about doing that. And so, you know, I hear that conversation a lot. And what I feel, Tribe, is, is we really have to step into understanding this, this place within ourselves where we, we look beyond those those issues and we step into a place of you know what is the thing that calls out to me the most and what is it that we can do to to shift it and and this is really i feel like the the importance of the conversation but one of the things that comes up a lot and i and i know a lot of listeners who are are hearing this is what comes up a lot is i have all this love i have all of this energy i have all these things i want to do but how like how do i how do i get out of that space of that fear because when you talk about homeless people the first First thing that people think of is, you know, because I remember one time I was in um, with my father and my dad loves to eat sake fried chicken, which I'm not a fan of on any level. And I was just coming back from doing all this work in Europe and helping people. And I just came back from Israel and, you know, I sat, he's like, come have sake fried chicken with me. And I was like, dad, I'm not going to eat it, but I'll, I'll, I'll sit down with you while you eat it. If that's what you choose to put in your system. And I was there. And this man came to the window, looked inside, and he came in, and he was this homeless man. And, you know, he smelled, his feet were out of his shoe, you know, and he had all these, you know, um, like, you can tell that it's been really difficult for him. And he comes in, he grabs me, and he goes, oh, it's you, it's you, I know who you are, you're the one who can stop, you can stop the the, the spirits from attacking me. And everyone in the Tech Fried Chicken was freaking out that he was in there, and I put my arms around him and held him close to my chest, and I started to call on the spirits to go into his body to remove these things out of him. And then he started coughing and coughing and coughing and he was on the ground shaking. My dad was watching the whole thing. And afterwards, he was like, the voices are gone. He's like, you did it. And then I I told him that, you know, there's a, a shelter on Polk Street in San Francisco where he can go and get help. But again, a shelter on Polk Street where he can go and get help. What does that look like for a homeless person? Well, the issue on Skid Row and dealing with the homeless issue. It's it's a systematic issue. And I'm completely against going through the system. And I say that because there's been this hundred year fight for homelessness. Billions of dollars have been placed in the system for homelessness and it's actually worsened. I do not believe it comes from the structure of the system because I think it deals with healing. I think it deals with human interaction, like your connection, you meeting that man that healed him more than any class he had ever taken because you actually seen him. 
You know, you were there. You weren't, it wasn't your job, you know, it wasn't your assignment that you had to do it, but it was your spiritual assignment that was called on you. And I believe that's going to be the difference because this issue is not going to be solved in the system. It's going to be solved by us doing micro gestures. It's all about that. To me, if we stand back and look at the problem as a whole, it's too overwhelming. And that's what a lot of people do. You look at the statistics, 58,000 homeless people. One person can't fix 58,000 people, but one person can fix one. And if 58,000 people fix one person, then we've collectively fixed the problem. It's all about micro gestures. You know, it's not about these lavish things. It's not about these huge things that we can do at one time, but it's incorporating small things, saying hello to the person that's in your neighborhood that you see, because obviously there are established spaces that people go and that exchange. What's your name? How are you? I'm going into the grocery store. Can I grab you a water? I'm grabbing lunch. I get this at the grocery store. May I get you one? That simple gesture It literally, it doesn't take time. It takes mindfulness. And I think that's what's going to make the shift is not us trying to go in and fix the homeless, which that's what the system tries to do, but taking all of us, holding ourselves accountable, and we fix ourselves. The part of us that has allowed us to spiritually elevate and yet ignore someone's suffering. That's what I think that we have to start being more responsible. Yeah, but see, that stuff is bullshit to me. Yes. I 100% agree. And I think that, but that's what we see a lot. Yeah, that's but then what, what is this whole thing about like love and light? Because, you know, you, I mean, yeah. you live in Los Angeles. Everyone's like love and light, heart to heart hugs. But then everyone's yes. heart and heart hugging at the festivals, you know, holding up free hug signs. Yes. But I don't see anyone holding up free hu- hug signs in Skid Row. Yes. And I mean, and that's the, that's the issue. It's we must look at ourselves like we do in every other area of our life. But we have to look at our disconnect. Why are we so disconnected from the suffering of another? How have we removed ourselves from someone else's despair? Because we do not have to have the same narrative or story or come from the same place as someone. But we have to identify someone's pain. And that's what we're shifting. And it's all about that. To me, it doesn't matter what the situation is. You don't have to be homeless to feel the pain of someone's care, their burden that they're carrying on a regular basis. You don't have to have been a foster kid to understand that person doesn't have a family. I have one, but I know that there's pain there. And I think that that's what we have to really start to recognize as a community that we're falling short. We're falling short in spaces that are the most important for us to be in. And that's making sure we're pulling up people before they sink because no one else helps them. These, you know, they are forgotten. I'm getting lit right over here. They are. They are forgotten. And we're supposed to remind them who they are. I'm getting lit. And that's by love. We remind them who they are by love. We remind them who they are by our own accountability. We are the awakened ones. So we're the adult in the room. Okay, so let's, uh, you know, I'm getting lit over here by everything you're saying. I'm, 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 I'm blowing up. I'm about to fire it up. I'm firing I it up. It. I I'm firing it. it up. Okay. I feel it. So let's look at some realities here, okay? You got everyone going around saying, I'm a healer. I'm a Reiki master. I'm a shaman. I'm a, a crystal healer. I do this type of healing upside down, gravitational healing. I do, you know, everyone's got some kind of healing going on in LA, all over the world, right? But only people they're giving it to are the people who can pay them mm-hmm. and the people who are in the healing community that they're in. Absolutely. Which is really, you know, yeah, you're getting healed, you're helping those people, but are those the people that really need help? 
Yeah, I think that that's that's the difficult part. And that's what I've been so focused on shifting it because then it becomes privilege again. You know, your problems can be solved with money. And that's why access is so important. Just because it's become commercialized does not mean that there's access. It just means people are familiar with the name. But what needs to happen is these yogis, I hold them accountable. As many classes that you host and you're charging people hold just as many free classes. I 100% agree. I have a situation that I set up in, in, in with the work that I do because my prices are really you know very high for some people. I have a pro bono list. Yes. And so I have two types of pro bono lists. I have one pro bono list for someone who just can't afford my rates, you know, they go on that list. And then I have one for people with terminal illnesses, yes. right? So then they go on that list. So as I'm working with that person who has terminal illness, then everyone else has to wait on that list. And so I do that. And then sometimes what I'll do also too, is I'll have days where, you know, we have like a day where it's just basically the day where people can come in who have nothing and mm. they can get, and they can get treatments. And it's important because I feel like, you know, what happens is, is that, you know, I'm constantly receiving and giving and sharing and receiving and giving and sharing. But there's also the point of tithing, you know, the point of giving back, the point of, you know, um, I always say you multiply your sustenance by that which you give out without, without um, expectation. Yes, you know, absolutely. <laughs> and I've seen, and that's the thing that I've learned too. I've watched the people that I work with, the healers that have started to do this work and their own light elevates and they get to a new space because that's what was missing. That's what was holding them back and kept them stuck was they forgot the element of access for everyone. When you are given a gift, you do not give it only to who you think is deserving, who can pay your rate, but to everyone because there's a need and you're being used and it's not about us. And I think that that's that's what's going to shift so much because we can reach so many more people and being able. And I tell people all the time how what a powerful position to be in that someone can't afford your gift. When you know that that mindfulness, that should humble you to want to share it, because a lot of people never even reach that. It's not that we are more talented. We're more because I believe that there is talent within everyone. I just believe that there are certain people that are put in spaces to be seen and for their talent to be magnified. And that means you're more responsible. I have met people on Skid Row who were more enlightened than some of the instructors that have come. And yet they were the ones in the position to give. So I think that's something that we must take in account. It shouldn't be, I, I have a meditation seminar in Malibu or in Beverly Hills, but I can't go to Skid Row and offer that to someone who's in pain and that no one will see. And I think that if we do that, the shift that we're going to see, because it's not just about giving to this person, right? I don't believe it's charity. I believe it's something that it's our assignment. I believe it is our assignment and our duty to do these things. Speak on it. And, Speak about this and assignment. And I do. And I, and I believe an assignment. Assignment. I believe that if you are awakened, if you are in tune with every part of you, then that that need to give wouldn't be asleep. So we must go back. If you do not feel or have not, or maybe this is your first time that it's awakened, it's awakened in you and that realization, because in these spaces, sometimes you have an aha moment. That's what was missing. I'm doing all these classes. I'm elevated. And yet I don't feel fulfilled. I'm fulfilled as far as paper and what Instagram looks like. It looks like I'm fulfilled, but there's something in me that still isn't getting a need met. And that's the exchange. And the exchange doesn't come with currency. 
That exchange comes from two people energetically being available for each other. And that exchange is the most powerful thing you will ever experience. To be able to see that someone in their pain is praying for your presence and to show up, not because of obligation, because you were booked, but to show up because there was a call in you that was so deep that you couldn't ignore it anymore that you are past the space of material and you couldn't ignore that it was so much bigger than your day rate going up, your class rate going up, but that need to heal others on a massive scale because it changes. The the people that you reach, it changes when it goes out of demographic and class and it spreads to everyone. Access, access is important. There are children. I think a lot of people don't realize A homeless issue is a foster care issue. You have these children that are displaced. They become chronically homeless. Imagine a child who's dealing with pain, trying to get through school and has no way to heal themselves, has no way to be empowered because there's nothing to validate them. There's no family. Only 3% of foster kids graduate college. 3%. You know why? Not because they aren't any smarter, but because there is neglect because they are not seen. All of our spirits have to be nurtured. Uh, Yeah. All of our spirits. I don't care if you have come here as Gandhi reincarnated. All of us must be nurtured. Every human being needs to be nurtured. And we have to remember human touch. Imagine being homeless and because you can't shower, no one will even touch you. Your arm, hold your hand, give you a hug. It's not just one area that these people are going without. It's not just a bed. It's not just food. On an energetic level, they are floating, existing, and no one is acknowledging their presence. Sometimes on a spiritual level, I believe people check out because what's the point if you're not being seen? And I've seen that. And I think that it's very important that we tap into people and remind them, don't look to the left or right and what your world looks like your 3D world, go into that light, kill that light and everything around you will manifest in something different. And I've seen it over and over. And these people, because there's such a need, they literally, you give them a tool, they run with it because it's what they were looking for. Right. It's it's the most beautiful thing. Imagine, you know, we do all these yoga classes, all this meditation and this gathering. And sometimes you leave and you don't know if you feel any different. But then when you're in a dense space where love is not present, but you get to come being over, you have an abundance of love. Everyone's everyone's searching for that abundance, that overflow. Going to a space that's been without and you get to fill that cup, your cup overflows and you feel it. You're going to feel it energetically. How you know energy shift from moments that, you know, you have that awakening, that alignment, it happens on a magnified level. And, you know, I I want everyone to be mindful of that because you're going to see a difference. And it starts with once. Show up once. You know, do not look at the problem as a whole. Look at how you can fix it in your neighborhood, how you can connect with other people, host these type of events, sit with someone, stand in front of a gas station and hold someone's hand and meditate with them. Pray for them. Send light to their heart. That takes a couple minutes. But the impact that that will have on someone who's been ignored all day, who has said hello to every person that's walked by and they don't even see them, but you stop intentionally 
going to someone and saying, and I've done it multiple times where I'll say, excuse me, sir. They don't think I'm talking to them. And I walk right up to them. I'm talking to you. I'm trying to be in your space. What's your name? And acknowledging their light. The first thing I see when I meet a stranger, I say, your light I had to come to. I, and I remind them, but no one will remind them, your light is important. And all of a sudden you see a shift. You literally see that lamp start to spark. And, and it's that mindfulness, it's reminding them who they were, that they unfortunately didn't get to remember because society didn't allow them to remember. And we have to activate in that way. And we have to be mindful in that way. Everything is about intent and mindfulness. Intentionally plant seeds, not the accidental ones that happen to happen, but the one that says, you know what? I'm going out my way to put a seed here. I'm going out my way to reach this person. I'm going out my way to hug that person. You know energy, you're, you're aware of abundance and needs. But now you have to acknowledge it. And it's hard, but acknowledge what you've been given so that you can have more gratitude towards what you're given. Acknowledge the fact that your problems are the problems that someone was praying for. What you feel is such a problem, there are people praying for your position in life. And that should be, that should redirect and change anything. From those moments when I realized that, there were no more bad days. So I feel like, you know, we've become a society of people who are really caught up in the idea of meeting what we think people need us to meet in order to be popular, in order to be amazing, in order to be famous, in order to be somebody that we can see on Instagram or whatever, you know. And, you know, even like for me and my Instagram, you know, I, when I first got onto Instagram, I started noticing like a lot of pictures that people were taking, were these perfect pictures that they were taking of like their food that they were eating and the things that they're doing and the yacht that they were on and like their healing practice and all of these different things. And, um, but it was all like very, you know, glorification. It was very, you know, all very narcissistic and not really connecting with the public in a way that was real. I noticed that when I would write comments to people, no one responded back to my comments. And on my Instagram, I decided if I'm going to be on Instagram, I'm going to make it where it's about a tribe where we're connecting because of course I'm a shaman. So I only, that's the tribal understanding I understand. And everyone is valuable. Everyone is important. Everyone's voice is important. Everyone's teaching is important. And so it's not just me telling people what to do on my Instagram. I literally ask people questions and really get involved. And I think that what happens here on earth is that people kind of put themselves into these very social cliques. And I, you know, there was a, a wonderful um, um, experiment done um, that was based upon the idea that people look at other people in relations to how they see themselves. So if they see a homeless person, then they, and they themselves see a homeless person, they feel threatened by that homeless person on a spiritual level because of the fact that they are not looking like themselves. So they don't want to have anything to do with that homeless person because they feel like that person would then reflect upon them in some way. So they only help those who fit within the way they see themselves which is a very interesting thing on our planet because what it does is it really limits our species from coming together in oneness and it keeps us in separatism. It keeps us in this divided um, way that we operate as human beings. We, we separate ourselves. We limit ourselves from connecting with other people. So I did this experiment once where I took a bunch of friends out and I said, okay, we're all going to go out and they're all different types of friends. One of my friends, she's all into like fashion. Another friend is into uh, is computers. My other friend is a wall Street guy. We all went out. We're all going out and having a good time. 
And what I wanted to see was what would they do the moment we walked into this art venue? It was like a big art venue with music and drinks and all these different things going on. What would they do? My friend who was the fashion person, she was like immediately went over and started like looking at the art and then went over to the band and started taking pictures of herself, doing selfies and whatnot. And her conversation that she was having with people, she actually merged with the people who were there who were just like her. And then my friend who was the computer guy, he went to the bar and he connected with people who were just like him. And then my other friend who was the business guy, all of a sudden it ended up to the area where the business people were and they were communicating and talking. So I went to each of them and was watching like what they were doing. The girl friend of mine who was in the fashion stuff, she was talking about how hot the drummer was and like how cool their outfits were and the art and stuff. It was very superficial, you know. Then my other friend, the geek friend of mine who you know I geek out with at times because I love playing video games, uh, you know, he was talking about you know, the conspiracy theories and the ideas and whatever. And then the business guy was talking about business stuff. And I noticed that none of them were interacting with each other. They were only interacting with that that they saw in themselves. And I see that as a really big problem on our planet. That's why I see like religious people only want to be with religious people, you know, Hasidics want to be with Hasidics, you know, uh, uh, black, I even in a black community too. I see blacks only want to be black. I have black friends who are like, I don't want to hang out with, um, I want to, I don't want to hang out with a white person. I want to hang out with a black person. Why would I want to hang out with whitey? They don't understand me. You know, I'm like that, that to me, that never, that never, that, that, that never computed for me because I look at all of us as children of God. We're all children of the divine. We're all brothers and sisters. Even the trees, even, you know, even the flowers, even everything is a part of us. Every animal is a part of us. And I think what happens is, so when we talk about the homeless, you know, people look at the homeless. I remember one time I was sitting in LA, I was on tour there and I was at this restaurant and there was this homeless person walking by screaming. And this one woman at the restaurant goes, now look at that. That's how did they even get in this area? You know, and why are they screaming? And I said, uh, I looked at the woman. I said, excuse me, ma'am. I was like, I noticed that you said something about the person screaming. She's like, yeah. I mean, can you believe it? And I go, can you believe what? She's doing you a favor. She goes, what is she doing? I said, she's screaming for you for all the times you won't scream. Mm. She goes, what? I said, yeah, she's screaming for every time you won't scream. And all my friends were like, wow. Yes. And like... And also a lot of homeless people that I've come across are intelligent. They're smart. They actually have powers and gifts shamanically and spiritually that people just dismiss them or they didn't have the support or, you know, or the know-how and to understand what was happening. I remember this one time I was in San Francisco walking through Golden Gate Park and this guy was talking to himself and my friend goes, oh, he's crazy. I go, no, he's not. They're like, yes, he is. He's talking to someone. I go, no, he's not. He's talking to spirits. You don't talk to spirits. I talk to spirits. I see who he's talking to. You don't see who he's talking to, you know? And so I think what, I think what we need to get out of is this, you know, this very closed way of looking at these social cliques that we look to get into and be a part of and stay a part of. It kind of goes back to the whole college and fraternity and sorority. It's like, if you belong in this, then I'll talk to you and I'll connect with you. But if you don't, I think we need to get into recognizing that every single person is a part of our tribe. And if we see someone who's suffering and who's weak and going through difficulty and have, you know, all of these things and we don't, and we have the means, even if it's uh, cutting someone's hair or if it's, um, 
you know, um, giving some advice or doing a crystal healing on them or putting them through a breath exercise or, you know, doing yoga with them, you know, or whatever it may be, whatever we can offer. If we're a chef and we have a, a restaurant, perhaps we donate food, you know, like whatever it is, we have resources. Yes. And I feel like because, you know, we've been stuck in this idea of, you know, we, uh, being about ourselves, you know, we need to get out of the age of narcissism and get into the age of understanding the totality that we will not survive if another person doesn't survive. Every time we let these things slip by the wayside, we're slipping by the wayside. We may chant Namaho Renge Kyo till our face turns blue, but if we're not going and helping people and all we're doing is chanting with our Gohans in so we can just walk around our lives and be like, I'm a Buddhist when I'm not doing anything. You know, or, you know, I, I see people in L.A. like, oh, I'm a shaman. I'm, I, you know, I'm a shaman. I do this and that and I whatever. But every time I see them doing anything, it's always to get to the social climbing position instead of utilizing these skills to be able to support and to be able to to lift and to be able to give in a way that gives back to them. Because every time you give to someone, you know, like I always tell people, like when I take them out to dinner and they always say, thank you, dear, for I say, don't thank me. Thank yourself. You manifested this because my honor is to be able to give to you because my cup is is is, is running full. Right. And so I always say to people, it's like you are always in the place of being of service. If you are thinking that your relationships are based on this idea that if so, if you give something, you have to get something back, then you are not as spiritual as you think you are. Absolutely not. And that's the thing, too. I've learned that when people feel they have to get something back, then they don't know who their supplier is. They're not tapped into the source because the source is infinite. I don't need anything from one being one person because it comes back and it presents itself in a way that reminds me that everything is from nothing's from us. Nothing's because of us. We can be a part of the exchange, but we're a witness to life. We don't create it. And I think that more of us have to understand that there's no shortage. When you have something, give it. When I tell you, it will come back to you before you can even hand it to the next person because there's an intent, there's an energy. And that energy is saying that this is an infinite abundance. We are 100% deserving. And that reminds me of one of my um, favorite poems where Khalid Gibran says, if if a man is deserving of these the oceans and the bro- brooks, of course he's deserving to fill up from your cup. And I believe in that. If you if we've been given the ocean, why are you hoarding this cup? Yeah. <laughs> why? Yeah, why? The ocean was given to it's all of crazy. us. The sun was given to all of us. The moon was given to all of us. And it wasn't something we earned. It was something that was given to us by I believe the creator just being in all with us and our being and uh, and our potential and what we can blossom into. And we must give back in that way. We must be a part of that exchange and to recognize that when someone doesn't have something and we're in their space, it was actually our lesson to make sure we're distributing. That was our lesson. It wasn't, it wasn't the person, it was to see what we would do and how we would respond. When you see someone suffering, please do not ignore it and look away. And I get, we all have busy schedules and all these false of urgencies. I get it. LA, New York, any place, major city will make you feel that way. But I guarantee when you get into that space, you'll realize you're in the time that you were supposed to be. And there's never too much time and an impact can happen in less than a minute. 
And if we are mindful of that, and I've learned that because I I create micro gestures on a regular basis every single day. If I have not planted a seed in someone or I haven't looked someone directly in their eyes and spoke kindly to them, then my day was wasted. And I've been very mindful of that because you look up and that's 365 acts. Just by being mindful of one minute, if you take one minute out of your day to look at someone and say, I see the God in you. Take us to church. I, If you look at someone and say that, I see the light behind your eyes. God is pleased with you, yeah. you know, or whatever you're going through. It's one moment and it's fleeting. Mm. It's going to be different tomorrow. Or I'll look at someone and they'll suffer and I will determine in their life this isn't the end for them. And I want more for you. And you will have more even if it doesn't look like it. And you'll remember this day. It takes two seconds to do that. That's God, that's God in action. And I, and I believe that I'm reflective of who I serve. You know, I can't just sit here and say that I'm doing all these things. That does not matter. What matters is the moment I, I've been given breath, I've been given sentences to speak. There are people that have been silenced. So when you have not been silenced, it is very important that the sentences you say, they, they deal with our vibration. They deal with our love. They deal with our awakening and our awakening to others. You know, we don't need to high five each other anymore with how much we've grown. But what we need to do is pull people up who have been buried sea level depths. That's the most important. And it happens with kind gestures. Remember that very kind mindfulness, all of us. And I, and that's what you know, I, I love you, us. right? <laughs> you do. It's that mindfulness, that mindfulness of every day when I see someone. And, and my biggest thing is, is holding myself accountable. I wasn't good at always hugging people because there was an introverted part of me where my energy was I had the same thing. Feel. I, I wasn't uh, good. So you know what I started doing? I pushed myself and I asked for hugs. I said, can I hug you? Can we hug? And then I learned that same person wanted to hug just as much as me. I started calling to that same energy that was seeking me, those same things. And these people, when I tell you, just take a moment. And I hope everyone that's listening, when you have this moment, because we're challenging you all to do this, please leave comments about your experiences because I would love to hear this exchange. I would love to hear what people have experienced, you know, and being able to give advice. And I guarantee this, as you're planting seeds, you're opening an entire new gateway for yourself, a new energy, a new vortex of light workers that you didn't even see. The real light workers. The real light Not workers. the ones who are walking around with the pink lady jacket no, no, going no. love and light, love and light no, no, and, no, giving no, you, no. and giving you no, stomp, no, no, giving no. you, you know, giving you stink face because mm-hmm. you're not, because you're not matching up to what they think because yes. you're not eating raw food and eating chia seed no. pudding and all this nonsense. You know why? What makes them the, the light workers if people wonder, they have been stripped of all distractions. Because they don't have their car, their AC, their expensive apartment. They don't have all the their they don't have all these things that take us away from the purpose. They have to sit in themselves, in their emotions, in their energy. And that's why there's such a light there. And it's a light I can't ignore because I understand that I've been in spaces where everything had been taken from me. Not because it wasn't supposed to be mine, but in those moments, it wasn't needed. I needed to sit with myself. I needed to not be too busy because I, you, we have to deal with that within ourselves. And that's something you will see. If you have an issue with being present a lot, when you go in those spaces, these people are so present. It commands you to be more present and you will change in that way. If you need more patience, 
Put yourself in spaces that are uncomfortable where, remember, don't approach these situations like you're a saint here to fix things. Approach this situation as a student ready to learn. Ready to learn. Ready to learn because Uh. I've learned more than I've ever taught. And that's the truth. And in those spaces, I recognize that they are the teachers and I am the student and I just show up to class ready. And that's what I, I, I want you guys to remember. We don't have to be the teachers. We have to be the students. And in return, we will get to that space. Always. You know, I tell, you know, so we have, you know, we have this thing in tribal culture where, you know, if the fish, the person in the tribe goes and fishes and then the person goes and deals with like, you know, getting the grains and pulling the berries and pulling all the different things and those who are sewing the baskets and everything. And those who are, you know, plowing the land and, you know, those who are teaching the, you know, shamanism and, and bringing the spiritual and understanding. If one person in that tribe hoards something in that tribe, all the tribe suffers. And the reason why the tribe doesn't hoard, because wherever they got it from, they got it from the earth. And the earth gives us generously. The earth gives us consistently. The earth never hoards anything from us. If the earth was to hoard rain, we would all die. If the earth was to hoard uh, the wind, we would all die. If the sun didn't come out, we'd all die. If the moon didn't come out, we would all die. So everything is constantly in sustenance and in abundance and giving to us. But then Our species has in their mind that it's okay to hoard and they don't think there's going to be some form of destruction. They don't think there's going to be thieves trying to come and get their what they have because it doesn't, you know, there's an old, there's an old uh, gypsy, uh, you know, I learned this, uh, this uh, thing from this guy once and it was a really interesting story. So, you know, uh, I brought this guy, I had this event at my house and this, and this guy, you know, he took something from me, he stole from me. And, you know, and then I said to him, you stole from me. Why did you take, why did you take this? And he goes, because it doesn't belong to you. And I said, well, what do you mean it doesn't belong to me? He says, it belongs to the universe and I needed it. Wow. And I said, what? <laughs> and at first I got like, <laughs> I was tripping. I was like. <laughs> I like his style. You know, I know, but I was tripping. I was like, what? You know, because I was taught that this is mine. I worked for this. This is mine. I have ownership of this. But then what I realized, you know, after I sat down with him to really understand his way, he says, you know, in gypsy culture, he goes, everything belongs to everything. He goes, so when we need something, we take it. You know, and he goes, if I don't need it, I'll give it back to you, you know, and he's like, this is how we operate. And I go, that's interesting. I go, because I go, it's, it's fascinating because I have been programmed that these things are mine and they aren't. And that's what I tell people, like every single thing you have in your life was not something you created. It was given to you. Your wealth was given to you. Everything was given to you. You are a vessel that got poured into. So if you were a vessel that got poured into, then why are you trying to hold everything in your vessel and not pour into someone else? Absolutely. And that's the whole thing. So I had this friend when I, long time ago, I was living in New York City and I had like, I I had no money because I walked away from my dad's wealth. My dad was a multimillionaire and I grew up in a household with a father from Africa who became very wealthy through building a business in the United States. 
became a millionaire, had a jet, had could buy anything he wanted, but he never would give. Like I would every year, I would do blanket drives. I, I was doing food not bombs, homes not jails, where I was feeding homeless people on the street, getting arrested every week. You know, always getting cops kicking down the table, throwing our food in the trash can. It was just you know crazy. I was doing blanket drives. I was doing everything I can to give to people. I remember even once we had this room in our house where. It was called the room for show and the vacuum, the the housekeepers would vacuum the room in one way and everything was perfect. And I remember coming home one day and there was this, um, this, you know, this minister and I was, and I started talking to him and I, he's like, why don't you come inside? And we're sitting on the floor. It's like, where's your furniture? He goes, we can't afford furniture, but we hear, we help kids who've been abused and we, you know, all this stuff. And I said, oh, don't worry. I said, my family's in Wimbledon right now. They'll not even notice this furniture is gone. So I went and gave them all the furniture out of that room that is called the room of show, the showroom. And my dad didn't even notice it for days. They didn't even notice it because they have so much stuff. And then one time I went to them, I said, you know, I'm doing, um, I'm, I'm, get, I'm collecting clothes and things for the homeless. I know how much they shop. I know how many closets they have in their dressing room. So I was like, do you have anything you want to give? They're like, we have nothing. I was like, you have yes. nothing. They're like, no, we have nothing. We have nothing to give. And I found it very fascinating that that my stepmom, who she grew up with nothing, my dad had money, he grew up very wealthy, um, you know, and she came into marrying my dad and she would shop. She had so much clothes that she had closets built for all the stuff she was buying. She had price tags on it. She wasn't even wearing it. And I go to ask her for something. She doesn't have anything. And I'm thinking to myself, you grew up in Hawaii with nothing, mm. but you have nothing to give. So you don't, but you forgot what was given to you by my father who gave you this lifestyle, but you have nothing to give. And then she goes and goes, okay, okay, okay. And she leaves and she comes back with a shirt that had throw up on it. Yeah, that's, that's a hard one. Um, I, I have to deal with that a lot because I have people who, you know, I, I focus on organic food, but our, I have people who want to bring cam or want to bring canned soups. No, Campbell soup. No, that's what you were about to say. Let's be real about it. <laughs> they bring literally will bring Campbell soup. They're back in the food drive, back but, in school. But then we'll go have a hundred dollars sushi dinner. And that's hard for me because you don't give things you wouldn't want to receive. When I started, I cooked. So I Wait, cooked. you gotta back up. You gotta back up. You need to say that again. One more time. Okay. You gotta say what was that line? So what's very important is you do not give something you do not want to receive. Okay, let's pause on that for a second and just give some prayer and some acknowledgement, some focus on that. I want you to say it again so everyone can hear it again. You do not give something you don't want to receive. And that's big. And it's it goes back to mindfulness. Wow. And when I started, I cook for people. I didn't say I'm going to grab some soup and heat it up. I cook the dishes I eat. And everything was about that. I want to give someone, if if I like quinoa, if I like tabbouleh, if I, this is what I want to share. Food is love. And it's not something I reserve for my family. I reserve this for everyone. Everyone should have this. And in my culture, we feed everyone. My family's from Cuba and Puerto Rico. And if you are hungry, if you're not hungry, you're getting a plate. Food is love. And you can't do that just with someone that's in your circle or in your circle circle. It's for strangers too. You don't, if you don't shop at Target, 
but you want to bring someone a Target shirt, but you wouldn't wear it. You, you're not, it, you're it's, missing it's so, the point. Yeah, it's so disrespectful. You're I can't missing even, the point. And, and, and it's not about brains, it's brands. It's not about money. It's about the intent and mindfulness and where it's coming from. What part of your being, you know, when I have, we do birthday celebrations. That's big for me. You know, we take people out to Lucky Strikes. We do bowling. We get them cakes. Um, I take them to happy hour because I give them the same celebration I would give my friend because everyone deserves those things or something I would like. And that's the mindfulness, because if you don't do that, you're coming from the space of charity. And I believe charity is deep rooted in ego. And it's honestly become a dirty word. Charity has become a dirty word because now it's I'm elevated and you're not. No, no, no. I, I got, I got it. I got it. I, I'm, I'm shaking over here. I, I'm, I'm shaking. I, I got to shake myself out right quick, quick, quick. I'm going to shake myself out. Okay. Woo. Oh, I'm getting there. I'm feeling it. Okay. You got to say that one again. Because everyone needs to know charity is a dirty word. Charity is. It's a dirty word. When you're a part of the exchange, you are just being used. You are exchanging light. We go back. It's not about money. It's not about grand gestures. You are exchanging light. It's an energetic exchange. It's not a monetary exchange. So it is not charity. Charity is a dirty word. Charity is for those who are still asleep and, you know, doing kindness out of obligation, but not out of their assignment. That's their spiritual work and in their heart. So we give what we want to receive. I didn't, I don't give organic food because I want to be bougie. No, I give what is righteously everyone's. I give what everyone's deserving of. I The idea that people can harvest fruits and vegetables and keep you from eating them is, is mind-boggling to me. It's one thing if you develop in a, in a lab, but to me, everything that grows on this earth is for everyone. And that's why I do what I do. And that's why it's about organic food. I eat organic food because those were gifts from God. And that's what I want to distribute. And I think that we have to be mindful of that. We can't give someone top ramen if we don't eat that at home. If you're giving someone something, if you are doing a canned food drive, I hope you're going in your pantry and bringing something out, not going to a store, getting something that you think they deserve. We must, we, we must be mindful of that. The food that we serve, and this has been my standard since I started. If I can't make myself a plate, I'm not serving it. And that's how I run lunch on me. If I can't eat it, I'm not serving it. And I have denied food. I have denied things that I know compromise what people are deserving of because we don't need it. We will find the food. And that's one thing I've learned too, when I know it's it's not the right thing. If I know that someone doesn't, is giving, if I know that Whole Foods, not necessarily Whole Foods because Whole Foods is very good to us, but if I know a company like Whole Foods gives us something that's not organic or they don't carry, you know? Oh, you know, yeah, like we want to sponsor like, yeah. we, well, we want to sponsor some chips or something or send something over. No, no, no. Even when I work with companies and I do events, every event I do, they have to match with donations for the homeless. If you're Health Aid, I work with Health Aid, their kombucha. If whatever you guys give me for our yoga, for our sponsors, I need you to give me the same amount for the people in the streets. 
accountability is important and access is important. And I believe both are equally important. You know, we have to make sure that in our world where our resources are, of course, we nurture them and we celebrate that, but we also have to distribute them. It's nothing wrong. I'm not saying don't have for yourself. Don't treat yourself good. Don't be kind to yourself. What I'm saying is share that with someone else. Bring someone to a spa with you. I've done that. I go to We Spa. I brought people from Skid Row there because they deserve those moments. They deserve all the moments I've been given. Absolutely. I love one of my favorite. One time I was in, um, <laughs> I was with a friend in my car. We were in uh, in Echo Park in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, this guy was, um, we were getting uh, at this burrito place. I was getting a vegetarian burrito and there was this guy and he came up and he was, you know, asking for money. And my friend was like, oh, I'm turning his back to him. And I was like, are you hungry? Do you, do you need something to eat? And he goes, yes. And I go, okay. And I told my friend, I said, let him go before us and order what he wants. And he goes, um, my friend goes, you're going to buy him food? And I'm like, yeah. And I said, order anything you want. There are times I've gone to restaurants. I'm like, look on the menu. Tell me what you want. You know, I've never seen any other person on the street or um, on, in any situation in life different from than who I am. And I think, you know, what you were talking about is give to people only what you would want to receive it has to be the anthem of your life when it comes to relationships, when it comes to what you're doing out there and putting your service into the world, um, everything in your conversations, everything. Because if you can take that and you can understand that powerful spiritual wisdom, your life will be amazing, amazing. And you will, you will break through walls and barriers on planet Earth and touch the lives of millions of people if you honor that energy. But what I want to go to right now is I want to go into your story because I know, you know, it's really important. I want the tribe to to, to hear because I know you saved some lives and I, I want to hear like... I want to try to know exactly what you do, what your what your what it is that your your business is that you create your service, okay? Because that's really what we want to call it, right? What tell tell us the story of everything? Okay, so I had been feeding the homeless for fifteen years since I was fourteen years old, and um, my first experience with the homeless was a very metaphysical, spiritual moment that. Of course, my 14-year-old self had no idea. Now, of course, I know, but I basically, the first person I fed, my uncle owned a restaurant and I saw how much food was wasted. And there was a man outside. My uncle had left. A man was outside digging in a trash can. And I said, and I was literally grabbing perfectly good food that has to be thrown away by law, but it, it doesn't make sense. You know, like there's these laws that we should revisit. But, you know, because that's why we waste so much. And um, I'm pa packing up food and I see this man. I ask him, hey, are you hungry? And he nods at me. Long story short, I give him the food. The man never speaks. He puts it on a grocery cart. I turn around to grab him a drink. I turn back around. He's gone. Disappeared. There's nowhere for this man to have been. And this was a moment that I literally had to say to myself, did this just happen? And the first thing that came to me, the divine said, I was an angel. And I was like, I'd never experienced that before. And I'm like, I literally saw someone for two seconds turn around, come back and they're gone. The food's still on the cart. The cart's still there and he's gone. And in that moment, I, I just, I couldn't believe it. And the first, the one thing I did recollect at that moment was 
his energy was warm. And that's when I started to really recognize energy because he never spoke to me. And that's when I I, I recognized the, the language of energy. And that happened. And after that one interaction, every person that was homeless, I would walk by, I would ask them if they wanted a plate. And I started saving food. I did this for three years. At that time, grew up having the church, but I'm not I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I grew up very, very religious. And in a moment, I told my mother, I don't want to tithe anymore um, in the church. I didn't want to give my money in that space. It didn't resonate. And my mother said, okay, but what are you going to do? And I said, may I tithe by feeding people? And at that time, I was 17 years old. My mother said, yes, that is she. And then that's when she explained to me, tithing is doing your part. It's not about where it's going in a, in a church. It's making sure you're mindful enough to do your part. And so I started doing that, started feeding. And it was something I quietly did. Never told one person. And I didn't tell anyone for 10 years. And it was because I wasn't doing it to get help or support. I was tidying with what I was making. And I never, so, you know, I was kind of shy about the, 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 the work I did because I had seen people boast about things they did for accolades and I wasn't doing it for that. And I had started to build relationships. And because I was so young, as children, we don't have fear. That is built in us as time progresses. So I never had been afraid of someone homeless because my first interaction, I was a 14-year-old girl and I had a great interaction. And so as time went on, I made friends. Then 10 years later, my friends started saying, what are you doing for holidays? It started to get on bigger scales. I started making bigger portions and food. And every city I went to, I would just make food and and hand it out. And um, then I asked my friends, you guys want to get involved? You can come for a holiday. It was Thanksgiving. All my friends came. Maybe for an entire month, they kept talking about it. They were like, I want to do that again. Can we do it again? And I was like, yeah, sure, we'll do it again. And then in that moment, something clicked. I said, oh, there is a need. I never spoke on it. There is a need that people energetically want to be in the space to be used. And they like this. In that moment, I thought I was the only one because I had made friends with people who were in this path in their life. These They were my tribe. And so... That happens. Then we want to do more. They they got into it. They're like, let's start going to big nonprofits because we weren't a nonprofit. We were just people feeding. We right. started going into the nonprofit world and the corruption I saw when you spoke on when leaders felt something. There was a moment I was so pained by a nonprofit organization in Los Angeles that had just received millions of dollars and they they the first thing they wanted to do was cut their drug program celebration. And for me, in that moment, all they, we needed was $2,500. It was, they tried to cut it 48 hours before. I said, me and my friends would pay for it. Like it was impulsive. I don't care. Because in my head, in that moment, it wasn't about the $2,500. It was, these people have worked hard to be sober and you're going to take away their one moment to be celebrated. And in that moment, because I had made friendships with these people that just every walk of life, every homeless individual, I just, I made friends with it. They, they, we spoke the same language. And so I said, I would do it. I ended up doing this um, event. I'm feeding everyone. I cooked all the food. I did everything. And I'm crying the whole time. Spiritually, I'm just crying. I couldn't get it together because in that moment, I was like, this isn't the way. This is not, this is nonprofits. They're charities. And I don't resonate with charities. And in that moment, I said, I will never complain about what others do. I would just 
start something myself. And I impulsively, no thought, no, I wasn't in the nonprofit world outside of volunteering. I didn't know how to run one on the back, I, but I knew how to reach people and I knew how to love people. And to me, that was more valuable than any infrastructure that's created and built to serve. It was, I knew how to sit there and see someone and love them and heal them and remind them everything they forgot to remember. And I knew that was my value. So I started Lunch On Me. And the first event we did, I literally thought like, okay, well, if I can feed 500 people a month, I'm doing something. That was my goal. Like 500 organic meals a month would be incredible. And I went from 500 to 10,000 in a year and a half. We distribute 10,000 meals a month. We're not government funded. Everything is grassroots. We still raise our money individually now. And that's because we're doing things our way. And it's about human to human, spirit to spirit. Our organization is a human exchange. It's not a charity. And I like people to dead that word because it's not. We are here to exchange with other spirits on the same journey that need to be reminded when they fall. And that's what Lunch With Me became. And as time went on, I started to bring my healers that were around because my entire life I have been around nothing but healers. And I found a space for them where their their gifts can be elevated and used in a way that I feel like is the most organic, true expression to what they have. And I started building sacred spaces for both for healers and the broken to come together. And that's how Lunch Me came to be. And it was, I mean, I'm an art director, creative director, you know, <laughs> I make films. I do other things in art. You know, I'm an artist and I paint and all these other things. But I recognize that within my gift, my subject changed and the homeless became my muse and it became my, my call to action. It became how I was able to express. And and my gift was to bring beauty in spaces. And now I'm making them more beautiful, reminding them of their beauty. And I'm allowing people to come together. So now it's gatherings. I'm gathering people together in this space to exchange. And that's how it came to be. Then I started contacting companies and saying, hey, you guys need to help. If you guys are appealing to our demographic of wellness and all this, and you're enlightened and you want to be all these things, then why don't you show us? And you show us by action, you know, not by quotes that you leave in your gift card. Like you show us by saying, hey, that same bottle of whatever you're giving, I donated one to a homeless person as well. And that's what I started doing. I started creating spaces for people to be able to give and hold them accountable and say, hey, as much as you've been given, where's your exchange? Where is, because because that's real gratitude. Gratitude isn't having it on a bracelet and looking at it. Oh my God, I say this to people all the time. <laughs> like gratitude, if you're, if, you're, if you're seeking it, then you don't have it. And it doesn't come by reading about it. It doesn't come by looking at the word. It comes by action. And I believe that when we mindfully put ourselves in a space to show our appreciation with action, then the byproduct is gratitude. That's what's planted. And there's no other way you can get it. You can't take a shortcut. You can't, you know what I mean? You can't tattoo it on your arm (laughs) and typewriter font. (laughs) You must... You must live it, inherit it. I tell people all the time, if you are a witness and you're not in it, that's not good enough. You're still too far away. 
If you're a witness, you are too far away. You must be submerged in anything you do. If it's gratitude, you have to be submerged in that action. And that's what this is all about. It's we've been so blessed. Why not share it? We, You know, you've been given something good. Why keep it a secret? Give it to everyone that you can. And tell me, you there was a situation where you wanted to help a woman and she had her kids taken. Can you talk about oh that? Oh, my God, Kishana. So I have, oh, God, it, there's so many stories. Um, difficult moment that happened for me was when I started to recognize our biggest issue, I feel like the root of homelessness in America. Um, and of course, I want to go global. That's my 100% plan. I'm starting with my neighborhood. I'm Be- sure there's people who are listening who can actually help you become and that's go, go, and go, that's go. what I that's what I want because I believe the the structure I've been building I believe it can solve so many issues that we've been wondering how we fix them and foster foster youth in America is a big issue with our homeless population and I have one of the girls that I love so much healer light she was such a light and because of what I experienced with her. I, I actually watched her light leave her. And that was the hardest thing I ever seen because I had a 17-year-old girl. Met her when I was 17. She had her second baby by 18. When you are homeless and you are in foster care or you 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 know you don't have stable place to live, your child is taken from you. You don't get the option. And I think a lot of people need to understand that because I do believe when you haven't been given any form of love and as a mother, that's your first introduction to love. And for that to be taken from you, it it makes another spiral. Foster kids, and I kind of want to go over statistics just to kind of give you a, an idea to paint a picture. 70% of foster women will be pregnant before 21. And the reason that happens is when you've never experienced love, you try and create it. And the only place you can create is in romantic relationships because that's what we are taught. That's what media tells us. That's what everything we're taught is our romantic relationships, our love that we create. And because of that, and you have children making decisions that, you know, are coming out of lack of experience. Children happen and it's literally a cycle. But your child is taken from you. You don't always know that when you're in this situation. You foster kid, never had love. You look at your reflection and that's taken from you. Psychologically, that does a lot to you because it's making you digress back into everything you've tried to run away from. And Kishana had her second child. After her second child was taken away, mind you, she hid her child. And that was something that people have to recognize. There have been times where I've gone to Skid Row and there's been tents and there's been children in there. And women are asking me, please don't say anything. I don't want my baby taken. And it's difficult because it's not a choice. You don't get the option. And her second child had been taken. They found her. Her second child was taken. She had an emotional breakdown. She broke for hours. And this was difficult because when I met her, I didn't have my program. I was working with foster youth and the homeless, but I didn't have my own set of rules, my own way to be able to do what I do now. Your own structure. Yes. I had to just go off of the resources that were already provided. Mm -hmm. And in that space, she, they called the cops on her. You know, she was crying, screaming in the street. People felt uncomfortable. So instead of asking her if she was okay, they called the cops. The cops called the mental hospital. They took her in. She was put on bipolar medicine. Kishana wasn't bipolar. I had fed her for two years. I knew this woman. I knew her patterns. I knew everything. She was not bipolar at all. Her, the wiring of her brain changed in front of me. I watched this woman 100% change. And when her medicine ran out, 
because that also is intentional. Medicine isn't re-prescribed and that's when mental illness does become developed. And basically she went from a rewiring to a dependency and then her brain started to change. She went, she turned to crystal meth. From that moment, crystal meth gave her the exact same side effect that the bipolar medicine did. And she was able to function the same way. There was no difference in those two medicines. And I literally watched Kishana change to the point of no return because crystal meth is extremely hard to get off of. And it's killing a lot of people in our communities. And the hardest thing for me was I didn't have my healing programs at that time. Because if I did, the moment she had that outbreak, I could have approached her, given her a hug and explained to her she wasn't crazy. She was a hurt mother who lost her child. And it's not going to be fixed with medicine, not prescription medicine. It's going to be fixed with love and support and empowerment. And that empowerment comes with teaching people self-healing. Everything that we do is about empowering someone to heal themselves. I encourage healers to rise up. I encourage everyone's self-healing. Again, I'm not healing anyone. I'm reminding people of their superpowers. And that's what we're doing. And that's been our goal. And with Kishana, that was my, my moment that changed me where I said, never again. Anyone that needs meditation, anyone that needs prayer, anyone that needs yoga, breath work, Reiki, I offer it to them. If someone asks, I will call any healer I know, hey, I need you to do this free session because this person can go left or right. And a lot of times we see people that are on this extreme. You can go straight to the light or you can spiral to the point of no return. And sometimes just these small seeds can get someone right into that light. And it's small gestures, you know, and and that's that's something that that changed my life because I watched a woman's light leave her and there was nothing I could do because in that moment, the system already had a heavy influence on her life and had already put her on drugs. And so this is why this is also so important, because a lot of people see the homeless and go, they're homeless because they're mentally ill. And when I hear that, I think so you think every mentally ill person came together and created a village. They all, it it didn't work that way. A lot of the mental illness is developed from experiencing homelessness. Homelessness is trauma. It's daily trauma that is not addressed, that piles up on top of each other and you look up and you don't see yourself anymore. And that happens so much. Mental illness is developed with people that aren't even dealing with this level of despair. So you can only imagine what happens in the space where there's trauma every day, whether it's you know, being harassed. It's hard to be homeless. It's very hard. You can't, you know, keep your hygiene together on a regular basis. You don't have access to things as simple as water. You know, your tent, it's illegal to have a tent up. A lot of people don't even realize that. Like people have records. They can't even get jobs if they want it. They have a record because all it shows is all these times they've been to jail. It doesn't show it was for a street walk, a, a sidewalk blocking ticket from their tent. You know, we don't see that Homeless people are criminalized. So when people are saying they need to get a job, they need to do these things, no, we've taken them out of every opportunity and it just spirals and they have less and less resources. And, you know, it's it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow, but these are real things and these are this is the reality. And it's interesting because it's happening in America. When people hear from America, they don't hear this. 
They hear Wall Street. They hear Hollywood. They hear these beautiful things, Miami Beach, South Beach. Like They hear all these beautiful things, but they don't see what happens with all the people that slip through the cracks because they make sure not to film in those spaces. And we have to be mindful just because you don't see it, it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because you don't see the homeless kids, it doesn't take away that there's 28,000 homeless kids in L.A. It does not take away that children went up 64% this year and adults only went up 23%. And 23% is still a lot when you're talking about 58,000 people. But to know that children are in an even worse space, you know, some people say, I don't identify with the homeless. It doesn't resonate with me. They're suffering. They're adults. They're like, I only help children. I said that was a child, but that child didn't get help. A lot of these situations are people's children who never had a chance. They never made it. And being mindful of that. A lot of the homeless issue is foster care. Yeah. So have you ever seen anyone come out of that situation? Oh, yes. Um, And it's so interesting because one guy that I think about, um, his name's Paul. I was speaking at Marianne Williamson at the Savant Theater in Beverly Hills. So, like, obviously, I feel like I live two different lives, right? Like, you're going from Beverly Hills to Skid Row. <laughs> I mean, you talk about opposites, you know? So right. when I'm in those spaces, I'm I'm never going to feel like I'm going to see someone I know from Skid Row, you know? Now, if I go down to town, I have to dodge everywhere I go in downtown. But there, I'm speaking about what I'm doing. I go into the lobby, um, and this man runs to me and grabs me holds me and handsome man. I was like, Oh my God, like he's beautiful. Like this beautiful man just like hugging me. And I'm, he looks a little familiar, but I don't remember him. And he says to me, do you remember me? And I'm like a little bit, but I don't know from where. And he says to me, you gave me coconut water seven months ago. I was on drugs on the streets. And he was like, I come from Beverly Hills. He was like, I've had money my whole life. He's like, but I got on drugs and drugs brought me to Skid Row. And you were the first person to not say to me, you need to get cleaned up. You need to get off drugs. All you said to me was you're dehydrated. <laughs> and in that moment, I did. I was like, babe, you need to drink up. You're dehydrated. I did. And I remember that moment. Like, and he said, he's like, you didn't, he's like, you let me drink it. And you got in your car and said, take care of yourself. And I remember that fleeting moment. And in that moment, after he drank the coconut water from being so dehydrated and obviously getting all these electrolytes back into his body and recharging, he stood up and went and checked into um, a drug rehab facility. And he's been sober ever since. And that's a moment that was a micro gesture. That wasn't him being in my program every week, him, you know, staying with us for six months. This was a moment I had, one moment with this man, one moment and whatever, whatever he needed, whatever he had been asking the divine to show him, it showed up in the form of me handing him coconut water because that's what he got from that. It wasn't, I was, and all I was thinking is he's in bad shape and he needs, you know, to hydrate himself. And he checked in and he's sober now, got his life back, got his fiance back. Like everyone pretty much like, you know, and that happens too. Just because you were born into a family doesn't mean you have support. Doesn't mean your family knows how to elevate you. Just because they want what's best for you doesn't mean they know what that is. And in these spaces, we can feel isolated and that can bring people to Skid Row as well isolation within their own environments. And that happened with him. And that was a situation that, of course, I cried like a baby again because it was a micro gesture. And that was another moment where I realized it had nothing to do with the food. And sometimes it has nothing to do with the yoga. It has to do with the intent to give someone a gift of light, of love. It's that intent. It's not about the act. The yoga is not 
what is healing the person. The it, It's the intent. It's the energy that you are exchanging with a person that's healing them. It doesn't matter. To me, food is a tool. It's not about the food. It's about the intent to give someone a plate. There's a, there's an action, a translation of love there that is not from the material world. It's literally from a spiritual exchange and it's the love that's poured into that. And that's what we have to recognize that coconut water did not get him off of drugs. It was the intent to love someone that got him into a space to love himself enough to stand up and check in. And those are the things I'm talking about. You might end up doing something like that for someone by just being available. By giving someone a water, by giving it because it's not about the water. Yes. It's the tool. It's a tool. And it's beautiful to have tools to use to translate that when people don't see. That's why food is such a tool for me, because if you don't understand the principle in its entirety, you do understand what a plate means when someone's handing you an offering. And that's what this is about. I think people need to get, yeah. And I, I, I feel very strongly about what you're saying. I had a situation where I had two friends of mine who were really strong um, agape leaders, um, Reverend Michael Bethwick. They were like every weekend they go, they're hardcore about it. You know, and I used to have this tree house in, um, in Echo Park. And I was, you know, I always have my glass door open. I have a little garden in front of my glass door. And they were in my house and hanging out. And all of a sudden this guy was standing in front of my glass door and he was foaming at the mouth. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and you can just tell, like, you know, he was in a really bad situation. And the, the, I would, the thing that really got me and really like, you know, why I feel so connected to you and why I feel so connected to people who, who, who hold that majesty as you do is, um, I, I, you know, the first thing their reaction was, was there's some freaky guy standing by the window. So I looked, saw him and I let him in and then they freaked out. They're like, can I talk to you in the kitchen for a moment? And I was like, what? And they're like, you're letting him in your house. I'm like, yes, I'm letting him in my house. He's, he's, you you can obviously, you know, he's, he's got smell on him. You know, there's things that he need. I have a home. I have a shower. I'm going to go bathe him. They're like, you're going to go bathe him. I'm like, yeah. So I took him in the back bathroom and I put, I put, um, the, the tub on, closed the uh, the tub, put in, um, the water and put in this amazing oil that I got from Paris and this, um, bubbles. And I took off his clothes for him and he was standing there naked and he started crying and I put him in the tub and I started scrubbing his feet and his legs and his arms and his hands and you know I was, I was brushing his hair and like cleaning him up and then I gave him some uh, a t-shirt of mine that I that I got from a sponsor and I had um, another pair of pants and um, and some socks some warm socks for him and I put it there and I said here's your stuff I gave him a robe if you don't want to put that on come out in a robe I went in the kitchen and I started cooking him food and my friends were like still they weren't doing anything they were just sitting there staring at me looking at me like they saw a ghost. And I said, I can't believe that you go to Agape every single time and listen to Michael Bethwick speak and, and teach and 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 teach and share with you words and, and everything. And you know, and 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 so it is, and so it is, and so it is. And you and you're sitting here in my house right now, and you haven't even lifted a finger to help me help this person. And I said, I want to get him some water. And they're like, but don't use the good glasses. I said, no, I'm gonna get him water, I'm gonna give him the best glass I have. And then finally, as I as I kept going, 
finally, when I brought him out, he came out in the robe. He didn't want to put the clothes on. He came out in the robe and I put him on the couch and I sat down with him and I started talking to him about spiritual things, you know, and stuff. And he was telling me, you know, how, you know, he lives with a bunch of uh, guys who they, they do a lot of heroin and drugs and things like that. And he lost his way and, you know, and he, he needs help and everything. And so... I brought out the food and, you know, and he didn't want to eat a little bit, but then we talked more and then he felt like eating and then he started crying and I held him in my arms and he goes, I've never met anyone like you. Like all I knew that I was walking down the street and I was so high and, you know, and he's like, and I kept hearing this voice say to me, like, there's, there's an angel this way who can help you. There's an angel. I'm, I'm going to start crying. You know, there's an angel this way. And he kept telling me this. He goes, and he goes, and I showed up and this is where the voice said the angel is. And I just said to wait for the angel to open the door. And I opened up the door and I was like, I was like, yes, I'm here and I love you. And I want you to know that I love you and my whole life. And, you know, and this is why I connect so strong with you. This is my whole life since I was a kid, because I grew up with this wealth and I watch you know, I watch my family and I watch people who don't have, you know, and every time like um, like I saw someone in the street, like if I was coming out of an event or a party or something and then like, this guy was like freezing, I took off my leather jacket and my friends would be like, I can't believe you gave him your brand new leather jacket that your father bought you that was like a thousand bucks from New York from the fashion market. And I was like, he's cold, you guys. Like, it's just a jacket, you know, and Every time I see people, I just want to give to them and give to them and give to them. And I think that we have so much, we have so much, you know, like a friend offered me, you know, said, oh, I want to give you this Rolex as a gift for being this amazing shaman. I said, I don't want your Rolex. I don't want your stuff. I want to help people. And I wake up every day and I think I just want to help people. I just want to see them happy. I want people's lives to be easy. We're all, why does life have to be so painful? Why do people have to suffer when we have so much? How can this person sit in this mansion that they're never in their home? And then they do these events just so they can look good and say, I gave to charity and I did all these things. And there's a person right there in front of them and they don't even reach out and touch that person. And it's just, it hurts. It hurts me. And people always ask me, like, why are you, why did you choose this path of being a shaman? And it wasn't about anything other than being of service and putting and helping people. And I just, and, and I just, you know, I think about all these people and all these gifts and all this power and all this money. And there's like millionaires and billionaires out there. And it's just like, why can't you just see that we're, we all deserve to have an easy life? We all deserve to have a good life. And that's like more than anything I could ever want for anything in my life is for people to know that they're loved. And so... And that's why I felt it was so important to share with the tribe. And I'm very, I'm very transparent with the tribe. I just want, because I think it's important, you know, and that's how I felt as a little boy, as a little boy. I just look at people and I was like, I want to love you. I don't want to love you. And people take my love and great. If they reject it, that's fine. I'm still going to give them love. And that's powerful. That, that's powerful. And I think that we have to understand that people do suffer. And when you are open to see what people go through, you realize people don't have and they suffer well. 
they're still hopeful. And that's very hard to see because we do, we want to give to everyone. And this is why it's so important that we see these people because they are, they're no different from us. And the fact that their blessings are dependent on our generosity, you have to, and you, I need you to hear that. A lot of people's blessings are dependent on our generosity because things are directly given to us because we are supposed to be the distributors. Understand that when it's given to you so easily, it's because it's for you to distribute and it's not to hold on to. And that is part of a lot of people suffering because they hold on. They hoard that exchange, that blessing, that light, that cure to depression, that connectedness. Okay? These people are looking for you. They're looking for me. They're looking for him. They're looking for us to distribute what God, what the universe, what the divine, the creator, the all-encompassing, whatever you call this thing that's a part of us, whatever you call it, it's literally distributing to us directly. We are in beautiful positions and it is a lovely time to be alive, even though there's so much hurt and pain that's going on that we can physically see. There's healing there's access, there's digital community, there's a connect. We don't have to go to India to be able to connect with someone there, to be able to pray. We're in a space where we can close gaps digitally. We can close gaps. It's such a beautiful place. And we're going to do that with the ancient knowledge. It's, it's nothing new. Everything that we're speaking on, we're using different tools, but these teachings are ancient. They're ancient. This is all ancient work. That's right. This isn't some new discovery. This is a reawakening. That's right. They're very different. And and we need you all to gather in this way with us to help to heal others, to heal yourself so that you can be in a position to heal more, to get past our own neighborhoods, but to get to a global scale with each other collectively collectively what we can do is beyond us if we move out of our own way yes yes wow this is so this is so this is so needed and so necessary and so on time and i am so honored i mean i i haven't I, i i haven't dug into that spot Inside. I mean, I live my life, you know, just constantly traveling and going to everywhere in the world where people need me, where spirit is asking me to go and, you know, to do whatever needs to happen in that situation, even if it means facing death. And, you know, for me to be able to just go back to that moment, to go back to that place, you brought me back to that place. And I'm so happy to be able to support um, your company, um, your, your, what you're, you're, you're about and what you do lunch on me. I, I can't wait to get back to LA to sit down and, and, and wrangle all the beautiful people that I can wrangle to really just, and even if they don't get wrangled, I don't care. I'm going to be there with you. you. And, um, and I, and I, and I encourage anyone who is listening from all over the world, if you want to get involved 
and what she's doing. Um, can you tell everyone how they can get in contact with you? You can visit our website, which is www.lunchonme.org. Our Instagram handle is Lunch On Me. Our Facebook is Lunch On Me Challenge. And our Twitter is Lunch On Me LA. Please drop us a message, drop us an email. We are looking for you. And what type and what types of things that uh, can they supply? What kind of things can people give to you in service? These are the four things we always ask for. Food, time, money, or talent. Whichever one you have. If you have a talent as a healer, give us that. You know, I, I don't need a yogi to bring food. I need a yogi to bring light. You know, if you are a chef, bring food. You know, if you have a facility that's maybe in the downtown area that you want us to bring some of the people from Skid Row to be able to have more sacred spaces. The biggest thing for us is we need access to more sacred spaces to be able to take people off of Skid Row, to be in a different environment, a safe net. That's important to us. More food. If you if you're a catering company, if you work with a grocery store, food waste is an issue. If we were redistributing waste, there would be no hunger. Okay, and that's something that's very important. If you have time, give us time. If you don't have time and you can only write a check, then be a sponsor to one of our programs. You know, be affiliated in that way, whichever way you're able to provide. But just know every person can offer something. Thank you so much. I am. I honor you. I love you. I need you, honey. You are such a gift in my life and a gift to so many. I know so many listeners right now have had a very powerful breakthrough of truth and consciousness that is really showing them how they can really put their heart and their being into um, into service. And, you know, and if you're a person who has access to lots of finances and money, please make a donation to um, Lunch on Me to support people, even if it's just giving whatever you can. You know, um, if, look, if, if, if 50,000 people gave $20, you know, yes. that's that's going to help in such a way. So everything is 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 necessary for us to really create change on planet Earth. We have to really be in the place of um, unconditional love and service. And that's really what it comes down to. So thank you, honey, for being on the show. Thank you. And thank you for holding space for us as well. Absolutely. All right, tribe. So, yeah, I mean, that was intense, I know, and very necessary. And, um, you know, it, it, it got me in tears and had me, my little boy come out, my little ducky, my little inner child came out. And every part of my being was just floored, you know. Um, I was over here shaking. I was going through all kinds of experiences. And I just want you all to know that um, I am just honored by all of you being on Earth at this time. This is an amazing time time to be alive for us to really create change and decide which direction we are going to go in and it starts with you and it starts with your words and it starts with the way that you connect with people and the way you hug people and the way that you love people and the way that you give to people is the way that you're giving to yourself and I always say to people if you can always think upon this that every time you hug someone you're hugging yourself Every time you kiss someone, you're kissing yourself. Every time you feed someone, you're feeding yourself. If you see a homeless person in the street, that person could have been you. Wouldn't you want someone of your brothers and sisters to be able to love you, to nourish you, and to lift you? Well, that's what it's about. So 
I love you so much. You can, um, if you haven't followed me already, you can follow me on Shaman Durek on on Instagram, and go to shamandurek.com if you want uh, to get in touch with my newsletter to see where you can learn shamanic training and learn more about things that I'm doing, what town I'm going to be in. But until the next show, remember you matter, and you matter to make a change for the better. I love you all. Goodbye.